Welcome, everybody, to the big dudes in the trenches. We are Bug and Doug. Tug is not here for work-related reasons yet again, and will continue not to be for a little bit. But in the meantime, we are still in the midst of our conference preview series. If you're live with us on Twitch, thank you very much for the second part of our live episode. If you are listening on audio or on YouTube, uh, this is a whole nother conference that we haven't talked about just yet. And wow, what timing. Uh, this is the Pac-12. <laughs> we, uh, we couldn't have planned this out fucking better. I mean, Colorado is leaving to go back to the Big 12. This will be their last year in the Pac-12. Potential that for- news happened both last night and a couple hours ago. So yeah, we are. We thought we were getting buried. And then I said, holy shit, no, this is more than one source. Tug didn't get buried again. My wife yeah. didn't get buried again. This right. is this is happening. Um, and it was a unanimous decision from Colorado. We'll talk more about that later. A potential for two to three more schools from the Pac-12 to jump ship to the Big 12. Potential Whew. for more crazy shit than that. I have some information to talk about if we want to get into conference realignment discussions but before we even get there oh i do want to shout out uh this is part i don't know now six of our conference preview series we're going through every single conference in division one college football that does include the fcs very shortly but before we get there we are talking about the power five conferences now which yes the pac-12 is still a part of that conversation at least for this season for now uh Starting next year, they're no longer the Pac-12. They're about to be the Pac-9 as of right now. Uh, (laughs) We'll see what happens there. Conference realignment has definitely hit the Pac-12 very hard and in a lot of ways that they were very clearly not ready to handle. Uh, So I do want to attack that discussion from two different angles. But also, if there's anything you want to start us off with, with conference realignment talk for the Pac-12, feel free because this is massive and it's been going on for a little while now. So (laughs) I know there are a lot of people that will say it was better when it was the pack eight anyway, and you might just get your wish because yeah, but also like the biggest brands are already gone. So the pack eight is yeah, uh, they're, they are the same saying it'll be the same already without any, any additional teams. They're going to be down. Like you said, they're going to be down to nine next year, no matter what. And right. it could get a lot worse for this conference. This might be the swan song for the Pac-12 that we're talking about here. And man, I RIP I Pac-12. I remember two years ago, we were having this conversation in a completely different direction of how the Pac-12 might end up gobbling up the remainder of the Big 12 because Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. Everybody's in disarray. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Both the Big 12 and the Pac-12 around the same time bring in new commissioners. The Pac-12 goes for an outsider who doesn't understand how sports works, apparently, or how TV contracts work. Uh, That's a problem in the modern era of anything. So (laughs) don't recommend that. (coughs) The Big 12 brings in somebody who navigates this beautifully i saw a couple of memes of about the comeback from the big 12 this is a this is their 28 to 3 super bowl moment because holy shit the big 12 was down bad and now they're gonna be bigger than ever uh and the pac 12 is on the receiving end of some of that so this has been an ongoing conversation 
I guess since last year, we learned that USC and UCLA are going to jump ship and head to the Big Ten. Uh, recruits coming to visit USC and UCLA right now are taking pictures in uniforms with the Big Ten patch on them instead of the Pac-12 patch on them. That is already happening. That is freaking me out every time I see it. It is so crazy. Oh. It's real. The Rose Bowl itself will no longer be in the Pac-12 conference. It will be in the Big Ten conference. Uh, that is amazing to me. How Beautiful. crazy would it be to see not only the Big Ten championship game in the Rose Bowl, but also <laughs> the, the Rose Bowl in the Rose Bowl? <laughs> yeah, the Rose Bowl in the Rose Bowl. That'd be cool. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I think it's very possible we end up getting a rotation of Lucas Oil and Pasadena hosting the Big Ten championship game, which that would be very cool in itself. Maybe even uh, – Maybe even MetLife in there. Who knows? The Big Big Ten has big things going on. But not only USC and UCLA are jumping ship, Colorado has been the, a point of speculation for a little while. And I don't think anybody really understood that this was legitimately happening. Uh, so how did we get here, I think, is a very fair question. And... I'll talk about all that, I guess, as succinctly as possible. Like, this isn't the point of this episode, but also... It's- it might it might be better to swing it in with Colorado because it, it, there's a lot of it that doesn't make sense when you look at how bad this team has been recently. But yeah, then you but look at the lightning rods. I don't think it's about Colorado, though, is the weird part of this. I don't think Colorado, anything Colorado has done in the past 12 years of being in the Pac-12 has positively or negatively impacted this decision. What's happened with this realignment is related to the conference as a whole. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's about the – clearly now I think it's fair to say the inept leadership of the Pac-12 over the past couple of years, the inability to get a new TV media contract done, there is no buyout right now to get out of the Pac-12. The Colorado Buffaloes just announced today that they're applying to the Big 12. And there's no penalty for that. They're leaving after this upcoming season. There's absolutely nothing they have to pay to the Pac-12 because there's no there's no grant of rights signed by the presidents of the universities. There is no media agreement with anyone. ESPN didn't want them. Fox didn't want them. Apple has gave has apparently given an offer for streaming of like not much. So <laughs> that's a that's a real problem. Pac-12 yeah. network is a thing that technically exists, but you can only get it with like two TV providers across the country. Uh, good luck watching Pac-12 games legally, and mm-hmm. even if you do, they're probably starting at one a.m. <sighs> eastern time and that's the other problem is who cares about pac-12 after dark none of these teams have been exciting the two biggest brands you're losing them to the big 10 anyway they haven't been exciting like i the pac-12 i don't want to say they need to blame you ucla and usc but a lot they they were the cornerstones of this conference they do bear a lot of that and they simply did not perform in a way that made anything about this conference exciting 
Oregon has not really been that exciting because they don't have the Chip Kelly offense anymore. They're not as flashy. Washington is just Washington. Like nobody's getting excited about watching Washington play. And then your next two biggest brands, I would say, Arizona and Arizona State, have been fucking awful. It really pains me to hear all this. Because at the same time, all that's going on. At the same time, the national brand for the every Pac-12 institution is like the lowest it's ever been. This is probably one of the most exciting Pac-12 seasons I could I can remember. Legitimately, every team in this conference is exciting to me this year. And nobody else feels that way <laughs> because of how poorly this conference is being run right now and how much just mouth malfunction there is <laughs> how much disunion there is uh between all these schools like this is a this is a real problem for multiple multiple reasons mm-hmm. at the same time of the 12 schools that we're going to be talking about in the pack 12 10 of them have really awesome quarterbacks when's that ever happened in any conference ever never i've I think almost almost every head coach in here is very exciting. Uh, I can name one guy I'm not in love with at head coach here. Everybody else is awesome. And even the guy I'm not necessarily in love with has a contract extension through 2029 because he's the best coach that school's had in a very long time. We'll get to him. Yeah. <clears throat> like, oh, my gosh. These programs are doing the best they've done in decades – and the conference itself is not supporting them. It is brutal to watch. So I will let that, you get into these teams, t- Doug. I will I will be back in a little bit. We'll we'll see when I get back. I promise I won't be gone all night. Well, that leaves me to talk about the Pac 12, which I enjoy very much, and which uh nobody else seems to enjoy as much as I do. So that's <laughs> that's all right. I understand. Uh, but we are gonna go ahead and just just leave it with this. I, I guess for realignment talks, we have to we have to leave it here. Uh, this is the official statement from the Big 12 today, like four hours ago, as we're live right now. Uh, this is the Big 12 put out a two-word statement. They're back. Colorado is joining the Big 12 Conference for the 2024 season. So this will be their final year in the Pac-12. Hey, maybe all those Deion Sanders haters were right, and he's only going to win one or zero Pac-12 Conference championships. I mean, that's that's heartbreaking <laughs> in the Pac-12. That's, that's so brutal. Uh, <laughs> but let's go alphabetical order. We have 12 teams to talk about, and like I said, I think all 12 of them are at least interesting this coming season. Uh, All for pretty different reasons, but almost all of them have a great quarterback, starting with Arizona here. Jaden Delora is awesome. One of the best quarterbacks Arizona's ever had, and I'm not making that up. Like, legitimately, go watch an Arizona game. I know most of you haven't because nobody watches Arizona games, but holy cow, this is an exciting offense. Jed Fish is in his third season this year coming over from the the New England Patriots where he was a wide receivers coach. And I thought at the time, how does this, how does this even make sense at all? 
He has no experience in college football, not as a head coach at least. Where is – what is Arizona seeing that I'm not, right? Jed Fish seemed like he came out of nowhere. It's really becoming a legitimate culture here Here that I – I don't know. It, it, it seems like it's coming out of nowhere. They were 0-12 the year before Jed Fish came into town. His first season, they went 1-11. Everybody's like, okay, nothing – Nothing's changed that much. Last year they go five and seven, and Jaden Delora looks like one of the best quarterbacks in program history. Jacob Cowing is a legitimate option at wide receiver. Everybody in the conference would love to have a Jacob Cowing on their team. Tyler Manoa transfers in from UCLA at defensive tackle, could be a legitimate threat on that defensive line, giving them a couple of really talented options at all levels of the defense. Jacob Manu at linebacker. And Ephesians Prysock, what a name at cornerback, uh, is an extremely talented, extremely young guy that Jed Fish was able to bring in. Arizona Wildcats are looking like a an, an actual football team, <laughs> which is which is just I don't know. I don't even know where to start with this. I, I guess I have started already, but you, you get what I'm saying. Arizona has not been one of the premier programs of this conference for quite some time. And this season, I expect them to be a bowl team. Like, that sentence in itself is crazy for where Arizona was just a couple of years ago. The job Jed Fish has done is outstanding. And I love to see it. <laughs> I love to see it. Let's go ahead and jump to in-state rival Arizona State. They will play for the Governor's Cup, uh, but they do have a first-year head coach. Kenny Dillingham is coming in. He used to be Arizona State's quarterback really not that long ago. He is a very young guy. He went on to coach at Florida State for Jordan Travis's first year. If you'll recognize that name, it's because Jordan Travis is really freaky good. Kenny Dillingham had a, had a hand in that. Also, last year, he was the offensive coordinator for the Oregon Ducks. And if you remember last year for the Oregon Ducks, they brought in a new quarterback by the name of Bo Nix. And Bo Nix wasn't looking too hot coming out of Auburn. All of a sudden, Kenny Dillingham works with him up in Oregon and Bo Nix is a legitimate Heisman contender. Like, Kenny Dillingham is not only an Arizona State alum, he is a legitimately great coach, proven legitimately great coach for as young as he is. This is incredible. He cried in his introductory press conference because of how much he loves this opportunity, and he, he relishes the chance to take over his alma mater. And... He has a a new transfer quarterback to work with. We'll see what Drew Pine can do. I am legitimately excited for Drew Pine and his potential coming out of Notre Dame. I I thought he looked pretty good. He looked very talented. Didn't have his potential unlocked, like I think is certainly possible with a, a you know, the ability to work with head coach Kenny Dillingham now. 
Um, this could be a very exciting offense. Cameron Scadabo is a name that longtime viewers of the show might recognize because last year he was one of the best running backs in the entire FCS. He is transferring in from Sacramento State. <clears throat> I thought initially when I heard that Cameron Scadabo was transferring that he would just be following his old head coach because, you know, Sacramento State's head coach got a new job in the Pac-12. But, no, Cameron Scadabo decides to come to Arizona State, and I love it. I love this move. Zasavian Valade last year was one of my – you know, favorite, really under-the-radar guys at running back. Cameron Scadabo is that again this year. Arizona State two years in a row with that really underrated guy at running back. I think Scadabo could be just a, just a powerhouse for this team and a great pressure relief valve for Drew Pine. Like, that is that is such a a great tool to be able to utilize in the backfield, a guy who can catch a guy who can run inside the tackles inside the guards, even uh, really power his way forward. This defense has some very talented names. Uh, Roe Torrance is one of my favorite corners in the country. Uh, He didn't make our power five all America squad, but, I specifically remember him coming out of high school and being like, man, that is a guy I would love to have on my team. <clears throat> I was looking a little bit at their non-conference slate. They do have Oklahoma State coming to town, which is a game that I wanted to talk about in our top three non-conference games. <laughs> I got I got outvoted there. <laughs> but Oklahoma State at Arizona State is – one of my most anticipated non-conference matchups of this entire college football season. Like that could tell me so much about both of those programs. And I think Arizona state has a really great shot to do it. Um, they're, they're really changing the culture from what it was with Herm Edwards, whether that's necessarily good or bad is up for some debate. I understand the flaws in the Herm Edwards regime. I also, I I think I get what they were going for with that. Uh, But Kenny Dillingham is definitely a fantastic choice. Like, even if he doesn't work out, which I think that he will, even if he doesn't work out, this was the right decision. Uh, Which is, it, it feels great to be able to say that about Arizona State. Like, they are... For the sake of their own program, they're doing the best possible things. That's awesome. I love to see it. Uh, and I do think Arizona State could be pretty solid this year. You know, Arizona, I think, is on the on the cusp of bowl eligibility. Arizona State probably a little bit under that. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but maybe that last game of the season – is the decider that Governor's Cup between Arizona State and Arizona is in Tempe, is is at Sun Devil Stadium this year. If Arizona State wins that one, I could very easily see that being the decider. That might end up being their sixth win of the year. Uh, It it is possible. I'm 
I'm excited for this year of Pac-12. I don't know if you guys can can tell from me already legitimately just coming out and saying that already. <laughs> but I, I I think it's realistic that we get like eight bowl eligible teams out of the Pac-12 this year, which is crazy. That just that doesn't happen. Eight or nine even. Let's go ahead and get out of the A's, Arizona, Arizona State, into Cal. Cal is uh, the team that I'm least excited about this season. And it's not necessarily because of anything they're doing wrong. It's just because I don't I don't have a ton of confidence in Justin Wilcox. This is the one head coach I already said at the top. You know, there's one head coach I don't love necessarily. Uh, Justin Wilcox is that guy. He 30 and 36 in his first six seasons at Cal. With that record, it sounds pretty awful. I will say Cal before his time was even worse than this. Uh, so take that with a grain of salt. But also... There has been a bit of program building going on here and a bit of culture rebuilding going on here that other schools have recognized. Uh, Cal had to give him a contract extension for a very long time in order to be able to keep him because there are other programs that wanted to get their hands on Justin Wilcox, which you know, I, I kind of I kind of get like if you – put this kind of a coach in a more fertile recruiting <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> a more fertile recruiting territory not that California's bereft of talent it's just that Cal normally can't attract those big names um, it's possible that he does very well and I I could see that for sure but in the meantime he's working with a Cal program that yeah, it, they're going to struggle for some of that top-end talent. We'll see how they can do. Jaden Ott is a great running back. I, I, I'm looking forward to watching him. Uh, and I think this linebacking core is very exciting. Jackson Sermon transferring in from Washington. Xavier Carlton on the outside there. This linebacking core is very good. And I, I love me some linebackers. But as we talked about with Temple, you know, it's like uh, you can you can have a great linebacking core, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to pick you as one of my favorites for the conference. Uh, they you need a little bit more than just that. So this is one of those teams I don't expect to necessarily improve too much. Unfortunately, they don't have a quarterback. This is one of two teams where I'm going to say they I don't trust the quarterback room uh, because they're the guy that they had last year transferred to Louisville. So we'll see what they can do. And I I think with the running game and this linebacking core, they can be in some close games. I don't think they're going to win a ton of them. And four and eight last year sounds about right for this year too. Um, I. I don't know what their non-conference schedule looks like other than going to North Texas, uh, which honestly is going to tell us a lot about both those squads as well. 
That's right. Auburn's coming to town the second week of the season. <laughs> so good luck with that, too. Hugh Freeze and Auburn are coming to Cal week two. At North Texas, home for Auburn, home for Idaho, who is a lot of folks picked to win the big sky this year in the FCS. So not a very easy non-conference slate there. Well, <laughs> well, we'll keep a tab on Cal in the first couple weeks of the season. I think that'll tell us a lot. Uh, not only about them, but about, I guess, the rest of the conference, too. <laughs> oh, man. What, what a rough what a rough non-conference slate here. Yeah, I, with that in mind, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a two-win team. And I know that sounds brutal. And it is brutal. But that doesn't mean I don't think they're – there's any talent here. It's just they have some building to do. Put it the best way I can. Let's go ahead and jump to the team of the moment, the team of the news the past two days, uh, and really of this entire offseason, because what Deion Sanders has come in to do at Colorado is nothing short of newsworthy in any regard. Basically cut the entire team. And then, okay, here's an entire slate of new talent, which was needed, but also wild and very risky, too, because now you've basically imported a squad into a, a I don't know, you're trying to build a culture out of, out of nothing, um, and you're you're starting over in a lot of ways. So it could be pretty rough for the first few games here. At the same time, there are a few transfers that came with him. Deion Sanders was at Jackson State before this, as has been well-documented, uh, has been pretty successful at Jackson State. We'll see what they can do. I'm not expecting a ton for Colorado this year, even with all this completely rebuilt roster. They went 1-11 last year, and it's it's going to be a tough go of things once again. I'm pretty confident in saying. Let's look at the roster, though. There are some very interesting pieces. Shador Sanders, Deion Sanders' son, is the quarterback coming with him from Jackson State. A true freshman running back, Dylan Edwards. Uh, looking forward to see what he can do. Very highly touted recruit wild that I'm putting a true freshman on here but he's not the only one he's right below him Cormani McLean is one of the highest rated cornerbacks of last year's recruiting class I totally understand that if you're a highly rated corner go play for Deion Sanders one of the best cornerbacks of college football and NFL history understandable also coming with him from Jackson State is Travis Hunter, who you'll see on this screen twice here. That is not a mistake. He will play both wide receiver and corner, as he did at Jackson State. That's crazy <laughs> in and of itself. What's even crazier is he is one of the best players on the team at both those positions. He will probably be their leading receiver and will probably be their best corner. Both of those are really hard to do in a Power 5 conference. Travis Hunter is that good. Uh, he was the number one overall recruit in his recruiting class 
and chose to go to Jackson State, of all places, because of the opportunity to work with Deion Sanders. It's paid off for him in some ways. Uh, he's he's really showed his talent in massive spots, and now he gets to do it in a Power 5 conference with the Colorado Buffaloes. Their non-conference slate is crazy. I know I just talked about how insane Cal's schedule is shaping up to be. Uh, Colorado State has it even harder. <coughs> uh, one of the games on the schedule that we're not going to talk about later is the first week of the season at TCU. Uh, it's not in our most anticipated Pac-12 games because it's at TCU, not at Colorado. Um, but we'll we'll talk on another big one later. I don't know what to expect for Colorado this year necessarily. I think maybe four wins would be a a really strong start, honestly. Like, this is a tough schedule in a very tough conference this year. And their guys are so young, and it's it's an entirely new squad. Uh, Even the guys that they're bringing in from other Power 5 programs, like Jordan Dominic coming in from Georgia Tech, like – okay, this is an entirely new everything. (laughs) I think that's the best way to describe Colorado right now. It's entirely new everything. I am excited to watch the progression of Colorado with Coach Prime. I think the best seasons are ahead of them once they get into the Big 12. Uh, But this year will at least be fun to watch if you can get a hold of it somewhere because uh pac 12 games are really hard to find on tv anytime anywhere so good luck with that but <laughs> if you can find it it should be very exciting let's go ahead and jump to oregon of course just said they lost their offensive coordinator kenny dellingham to become the head coach at arizona state but they kept their head coach dan lanning is back for a second year what an interesting season last year was for Oregon. You know, they start off the year looking really awful. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. Uh, that was a that was a rough start to the season for them last year. Uh, just <laughs> Dan Lanning coming from Georgia, the defensive coordinator for Georgia, and then to start his week one losing 49-3, to against Georgia. <laughs> that is brutal. They turned it around, though, and got their quarterback legitimately into the Heisman conversation at the end of the year. That is equally incredible. And the fact that they only lost three games in the season, uh, commendable, to say the least. Bo Nix looked like a completely different version of himself compared to what happened at Auburn what he was able to do at Oregon last year was out of this world and see him come back and potentially do that again is very exciting. Uh, This defense is worth paying attention to. We've said that for the past couple of years now, Oregon has since the chip Kelly era has gone a lot more into defense and into the offensive line, uh, which I respect a lot. They need to do that if they want to compete with the big boys of college football. And they have definitely done that. Brandon Dorless 
is a legitimate threat on the defensive line. Jeffrey Baza at linebacker. Evan Williams is a transfer in from Fresno State at safety. Uh, I think he has potential to start for Oregon and be a very impactful starter, obviously, if I have him on the slot here. So this is this is an exciting, exciting team to watch this year. I expect them to be just as good as they were last year, at least. You know, ten and three last year with a win in the holiday bowl against North Carolina. Seven and two in the conference. They will be competing for that Pac-12 championship definitively. They'll be in that conversation. Looking at their schedule to kind of give us a a hint of things to come here. 2023 for them, they start off against Portland State, okay? Honestly, I think that's very good for them (laughs) as opposed to last year when they started off against Georgia. Starting against Portland State gives them a chance to really find their groove. At Texas Tech the next week, is massive. Texas Tech should be very good this year. I think Oregon should be better, but we'll find out in Lubbock. Uh, That's going to be a very exciting game to watch. And then, of course, their biggest rival in the conference. uh, It's been debatable who that is just because of how close the games have been recently. But the one that they get a trophy for is their in-state rival, Oregon State who let's go ahead and jump to here is going to be awesome. I am truly in love with what Jonathan Smith has been able to do here. Oh my gosh. Oregon state's good. (laughs) How does that even work? Jonathan Smith is entering his sixth, sixth season with the Oregon state Beavers. As head coach, he was a player here. He was a former walk-on who ended up starting at quarterback, getting Oregon State to a 10-win season. They won the Fiesta Bowl with him at quarterback. He comes back as head coach, and oh my gosh, last year was the third 10-win season in program history. Oregon State has never been this good. (laughs) except when they have Jonathan Smith, either at quarterback or head coach. This is a a legitimate threat to every team in this conference. Uh, 10-3 last year, 6-3 in conference. They should have beat USC. Like, legitimately should have beaten USC. That game was was awesome. Uh, And they got better. I really liked what Ben Gulp-Ranson was able to do as a true freshman starter at quarterback. Let's be real, though. He was a true freshman starting at quarterback, and it showed. They're bringing in Clemson transfer DJ Uyunglele. Yeah, that is an upgrade. We can talk about his struggles at Clemson. He's, He's struggling compared to the precedent set by Deshaun Watson and Taj Boyd before him and... I have Trevor Lawrence after him. Like there's been such a string of successful quarterbacks at Clemson. I don't think it was necessarily a fair situation for DJ Uyunglele to step into to begin with. Yeah, 
he's had some games where he looked legitimately pretty bad. But with proper coaching, proper scheme for the talent fit, right? All three of those things need to come together for a player to be successful. I believe in Jonathan Smith, and I believe in this scheme, and I I believe DJ Oyungle can be very successful here, uh, and I'm very much so looking forward to watching this. Damian Martinez should be a thousand yard rusher. They have a great offensive line. I had to cut this down in order to, to include DJ Oyungle because uh, I initially started planning these conference previews. I was like, well, I kind of want to talk about Ben Goldbranson. I enjoyed watching him last year. But, man, this offensive line is so good. i got to include both tackles at least. Then DJ Uyunglele steps in. and like, okay, well, I'll show <laughs> Talise Fuaga on the screen and just I'll say the rest of the offensive line is equally as dominant. Like, this is probably the best offensive line in the conference. And then I have guys on all the different levels of the defense. James Rawls. This defensive line is awesome. It's awesome. Uh, unfortunately, they're losing their top corner, which cornerback used to be another strength of this team last year. I think they're still going to be fine in that defensive back room. Just a little bit unproven. And I think another nine, eight, eight plus, let's say eight plus win season is the floor for this Oregon state squad this year. I'm not kidding. Like this is going to be a good team and I, I can't wait to watch them. Uh, They are starting off the year against two mountain West opponents and a big sky opponent FCS team. So very probably a three and no start before they get into conference play. They get Utah at home. Uh, They get Washington at home. They don't have to play USC this year, right? There are some things about the schedule. You look at this and say it works out very well for Oregon State to be extremely good yet again. (coughs) It's possible they're in the conversation for the conference title game at the end of the year. I don't know, though, because there are a lot of other teams who could make that claim. DJ Uyunglele coming in does feel like it changes things, and I'm I'm in awe <laughs> at what Jonathan Smith has done here. Ten and three last year, and his overall record is twenty six thirty one. Like you got to understand how bad Oregon State has been in recent history, <laughs> and then Jonathan Smith comes in and just. It's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to watch. Let's go ahead and jump to Stanford, who does have a first year head coach. Uh, the second, or the third, sorry, the third of three first year head coaches in the conference. Uh, Troy Taylor is coming in to replace David Shaw. David Shaw stepped down of his own volition, according to stories. It's of his own volition, according to what probably is most realistic. It was a little bit of mutual, you know, let's let's go our separate ways here. Uh, what David Shaw had done for the program is awesome. You know, 
once Jim Harbaugh left, there was a lot of uncertainty. Jim Harbaugh and Andrew Luck left around the same time. And it's like, okay, what can we possibly expect from Stanford going forward? It's a almost impossible place to recruit for. There's a reason Ivy Leagues don't offer football scholarships because the academics take precedent. And the academics take precedent at Stanford too. So how do you recruit at a Power 5 FBS level to a team like Stanford? David Shaw was able to figure that out and figure it out very well. They had some extremely talented squads. And he had been one of the faces of college football while doing it. One of the most honorable head coaches in the game. Legitimately a great human being. And that's Stanford couldn't ask for much more. But at the same time, when the record was falling as far as it was, a couple of, you know, sub four win seasons in a row for David Shaw, he himself said, it's time for me to step aside. Let's let's find a way for Stanford to be successful again. Uh, that's what's most important here is that the school and the players get a chance to be great. That is awesome. I respect the hell out of it. Uh, it does mean that we get Troy Taylor in for his first season at the helm of the Stanford Cardinal. Troy Taylor is formerly the head coach of the Sacramento State Hornets. Sacramento State used to not be very good. A uh, similar story to what Stanford's been going through the past couple of years. And then Troy Taylor comes in, and in like four years there, he has the only two like two of the three or four winning seasons in program history and their first two playoff appearances ever and their first playoff win in program history. Like what Troy Taylor did to turn around Sacramento State as quickly as he did is unreal. So this is kind of the exact right guy if you're looking for a pure program rebuilder. Uh, what they're also hoping for, I'm sure, is that Troy Taylor will be able to navigate the the academic problems that come with being a head coach at a school like Stanford. If I if I were going to pick a guy to do that, it might be Troy Taylor. Like I think this is this is a good hire for them and a very underrated one at that. Like a a culture fit, a program builder in his own right. This is a guy that most most teams weren't going to look at because of his age, because of, you know, who really watches Sacramento State football, right? Nobody out East knew that he existed. Uh, but but the job he did there was outstanding. And I certainly hope he can do the same for Stanford. College football is better when Stanford's good. I stand by that. Uh their team this year doesn't look very talented on paper. I'll be real with you. Benjamin Eurosec is probably my second favorite tight end in the Power Five, behind, of course, Brock Bowers at Georgia. Uh, like talent wise, he's one of the best players in this conference. I don't know that he's going to be able to put up stats that would say that he is necessarily, right? Like, this is a this is gonna be a tough team to watch the first year. 
<laughs> but, but I think they're going to be headed in the right direction under Troy Taylor's watch. They do get to play Sacramento State this year, uh, which will probably be a very surreal experience uh, for the former Sacramento State Hornets head coach. I don't know. This is going to be a tough one. They have, of course, Notre Dame on the schedule. They do they do play Notre Dame almost every year. Um, at USC this year, at Oregon State, who I just said might be a contender for the conference. Home for Washington, but let's be real. That's a – the Huskies should win that one. I, I say that at the same time, it feels like Stanford wins one or two games that they have no business winning every single year. So we might see Stanford be like a four-win team again. Um, I don't know. I don't expect too much out of Stanford this season. Uh, three and nine last year, one and eight in the conference. Yeah, that sounds about right for Stanford. But I do think they'll be headed in a good direction. I do really – Legitimately, I've said it many times already. I don't want to keep repeating myself, but I do believe in Troy Taylor. Let's go ahead and jump to UCLA. What Chip Kelly has been able to do here is, uh, I don't know, it, it feels less impressive than it probably realistically is. Like, I don't think UCLA has been good since the 70s. <laughs> and now with Chip Kelly and with Dorian Thompson-Robinson past few seasons, this has been an exciting team to watch. And they've been in some games where it felt like UCLA had no business being in just a few years ago. This is the sixth season for Chip Kelly at UCLA. He does not have a winning record, 27-29. and 29. But I don't think he's on the hot seat in any regard. Like, he's he's one of the most respected head coaches in college football to this day. I do still put him in that category. And heading into the Big Ten, I wouldn't want anybody other than Chip Kelly. I don't want to rock the boat. Uh, last year, went 9-4 and four with a loss in bowl season to Pitt, 35-37. And they lost DTR. Like, that's rough. But I do think this offense is going to be pretty awesome even after DTR is gone. Dante Moore is a true freshman this season. I already have him in my list of quarterbacks that I can't wait to watch in this conference. As far as pure arm talent goes, <laughs> I think Dante Moore was the best quarterback in the recruiting class. And with Chip Kelly, I think Dante Moore could be extremely successful here. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe it's a bit premature. Maybe it's going to take two years before the Dante Moore experience is really, truly unleashed. I think it could be pretty successful right out the gate. Also bringing in transfer running back Carson Steele from Ball State, one of my favorite running backs in the entire group of five last two years, is now at UCLA. Uh, we've seen what they can do with transfers at running back. Zach Charbonnet did pretty well there. Carson Steele is awesome. He's an awesome player. Uh, this should be a very fun 
offense, even without Dorian Thompson-Robinson guiding that entire way. This defensive line for UCLA is pretty underrated, I would say. I do have the twins up here, Gabriel and Grayson Murphy, both transferred from North Texas a couple of years ago and played very well for UCLA last year. I will say I I wanted to put the twins up here both together because I felt wrong having one without the other. They have another defensive end who's going to work his way in the rotation as well. Like this is a, this is a legitimate, legitimately really good defensive line. Uh, I, I would put this defensive line up there with most other teams in this in the country. So UCLA nine and four last year. I don't know if they're going to be competitors for the conference title, but I certainly don't expect them to be, you know, a sub five hundred team. Like, this is going to be a good squad, even with the true freshmen starting at quarterback. It does help. Their non-conference slate is pretty dang weak. Uh, Coastal Carolina, now without Jamie Chadwell. NC Central uh, is on the schedule. At San Diego State is going to be pretty pretty interesting. We already talked about that one when we did our Mountain West preview. Uh, UCLA coming down to San Diego should be... Uh, it'll certainly be an interesting matchup. I don't know if it's going to be a a walk you know, a, a walk in the park for either side there. That should be a pretty awesome game. Uh, but the conference slate is pretty tough. I keep saying pretty. Just something we're going to live with today, I guess. At Utah, at Oregon State, at USC, even at Arizona could be tough. Uh, home for Washington State could be tough. I don't think there's a very clear, obvious win in the entire conference slate for almost anybody right now. And that does limit my excitement for like UCLA's potential to win the conference or to make a very big bowl game. I do think UCLA is going to be pretty good, though. And that's that's with a true freshman quarterback. So keep that in mind. If UCLA struggles to start the year, even against Coastal Carolina at San Diego State, keep that in mind. It's a true freshman quarterback. Let's let's get past week four at Utah. They'll have a bye week. Then week six of the college football season, home against Washington State. Maybe we'll really see what this offense is truly capable of. Like it might take a few weeks. So let's go ahead and jump to the crosstown rival, the University of Southern California, USC. Yeah, they have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams. They have one of the most hyped names in all of coaching in Lincoln Riley. Uh, What he has been able to do with Oklahoma and with USC has been pretty impressive, but he it does have a reputation now building, I will say, of not being able to win that really important game at the end of the year. That's tough. That's a bad place to be. If there's a team that can make the college football playoff out of the Pac-12, like a team that legitimately 
is strong enough to run the table, even in this conference that I believe is one of the most, like, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I completely blanked on the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Across the board, they're all very good. There's a word for that. (laughs) I don't know. We'll move on. (laughs) Of... (laughs) Of everybody in the conference, USC is probably the most talented uh, and the most likely to be able to run the table. I don't know if they're really going to be able to do that for sure. Their conference slate is a bit favorable for that. The hardest game on the road is at Oregon, which is not easy. Uh, but they're home for Utah, home for Washington. They are at Notre Dame this year. I mean, I don't know. It, it's a tough schedule. If they run the table, they will be in the college football playoff definitively. This is a schedule that will put you in the playoffs. Um, Caleb Williams is a reigning Heisman Trophy winner, though. Like, if he can play at that same level, they'll be right up there as one of the best teams in the country. Dorian Singer, I think, could be their leading receiver this year. He's a transfer from Arizona. Bear Alexander coming over from Georgia to start at nose tackle for him. Oh, my gosh. Bringing in some Georgia defenders. Uh, Bear Alexander is really great, and that should be scary. (laughs) And Kalen Bullock is one of the best safeties in all of college football. You may have noticed a theme. I've talked about quarterbacks a lot to this point, but I've also brought up several defensive back rooms. I think the Pac-12 is probably the – I'm not even going to say probably. It is the best quarterback conference in the country right now. It is probably the best defensive back conference in the country right now. Like, yes, you can find other teams, other individual defensive backs around the country who are better than anybody the Pac-12 has. But as a collective conference, the Pac-12 has the best defensive back rooms. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Kalen Bullock is one of those reasons why. He is phenomenal. Definitely looking forward to see what USC can do this year. Lincoln Riley's second year. Caleb Williams' second year here should be – should be terrifying. I am a little bit nervous about them joining the Big Ten. Not going to lie. I think that's a really good thing, though. So, <laughs> last year in the Pac-12 for both UCLA and USA, UCLA and USC, and now last year in the Pac-12 for Colorado as well. But what a year to go out on. This is going to be a fight to the, to the end for this conference. Uh, and it doesn't stop here. We got three more teams to go. Let's start us off. Last the back, the back nine of the conference uh, with the reigning conference champions, the Utah Utes. Kyle Whittingham is one of the longest tenured coaches in all of college football now, uh, heading into his nineteenth season with Utah. Went ten and four last year. Didn't feel like they were truly going to be a threat to USC in that conference title game until they were. And then they just dominated 47-24. They did lose the Rose Bowl to Penn State. 
but they are Pac-12 champions with a great combination of really threatening things that nobody else in the conference does at quite the same level that Utah has been able to do. Uh, offensive line is awesome. I have already said I think Oregon State probably has the best offensive line in the conference. Utah would be either 1B, if you want to say it like that. Uh, realistically, I do have them at number two. Uh, I, I think they're outside of those two schools. I don't know anybody's particularly close as far as the strength of the offensive lines. The defensive line is awesome. And I have a couple of guys across all three levels of the defense on on screen here. The defense for Utah is physical and brutal in a way that most defenses in the Pac-12 just traditionally aren't. So getting, getting the combination of Cameron rising, throwing to a guy like Devon Vele on offense, and then a physical as hell defense who's going to beat you up every time that you think you have the ball in your position. Uh, that usually is a recipe for success. <laughs> now, Utah this year has an extremely difficult non-conference slate. One of the games we're going to talk about a little bit later, but I'll go ahead and preview it right now. Uh they're at home to start off the year against Florida. Then they're at Baylor right after that. And then they play Weber State at home. And I know everybody's going to say that's an FCS opponent. Shouldn't be that close. Weber State's pretty good. And the Big Sky is very good. I, I think that might be a closer game than it should be. You know, For Utah to be a legitimate Pac-12 contender, Weber State might still be a threat at least for a couple of quarters there at Oregon state at USC at Washington. Like this is, this is such a brutal conference right now because almost every team has key positions figured out. Utah is definitely one of those squads. Cameron rising the second best quarterback in this conference behind Caleb Williams. That I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Like Bo Nix is so good. Michael Penix is so good. Cameron Rising's up there though, and and Utah is a is a very solid team, very scary team to have to play. <coughs> uh, man, it's. I would be surprised if Utah is able to threepeat here. At the same time, like. They are talented. They are very well coached. They do run a consistent scheme in a in a powerful, consistent culture. They have all the ingredients there. It just feels like this this conference is too talented for there to be a three peat here. Uh, so, if you're a Utah fan, I'm I'm sorry, but I, I don't think I'm going to predict Utah to win the conference just because. You can't you can't beat everybody again, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. That's the that's why we play the games, right? Getting down to the W's, 
Uh, Washington up first. Kalen DeBoer in his second season as head coach. Formerly offensive coordinator for Indiana, where he led helped lead Indiana to their most successful season since the 70s, I believe, in the COVID-shortened year. Also had Michael Penix playing up to a very high level at Indiana. And they looked legitimately scary together. Uh, then Kalen DeBoer left to become the head coach at Washington. Michael Penix had a down year, uh, was injured. He didn't leave to become the head coach at Washington yet. There was a year in between then. Either way, they were separated. Michael Penix didn't look as good. <laughs> then Kalen DeBoer becomes the head coach at Washington. Michael Penix transfers. Initially, my reaction was, We'll see how this works out. I don't really know that I believe in Michael Penix. And then, oh my gosh, last year he looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it's true. This is, he might be the third best quarterback, fourth best quarterback in the conference. And up there still in the top 15, very comfortably, probably top 10 of quarterbacks in the entire country. Like, that is wild, considering where he was at Indiana just a few years ago. It does help that he has a left tackle in Troy Faltanu, uh, and one of the best wide receivers in the country. Rome Odunze was on our Power 5 All-America squad a, a few episodes ago, if you listen to that. The defense is also very scary. I already said that UCLA might have one of the best defensive lines in the conference, and then I turned around and said Utah does that very well at a level most teams can't match. I've also said that Oregon has a great defensive line. Uh, Washington is up there too. <laughs> I don't know what to say. This is a this is a legitimately talented, great, deep conference this year. And if you guys aren't watching the Pac-12, you're really missing out. Braylon Trice might be the first edge rusher off the board in the NFL draft next year. I paused for a moment to let that sink in because uh, there are some really great edge rushers out east that everybody's talking about. Dallas Turner, Alabama, a couple of guys at Ohio State getting some love right now. Uh, Braylon Trice is phenomenal. On the other side of Braylon Trice, <laughs> you very easily have another day one or day two selection. Zion Tupolo Fatui is also extremely good. Those two guys in themselves make this a scary defense. On the back end, they bring in a transfer from Oklahoma State, Jabbar Muhammad, who, like I've said, the Pac-12 might be the best collection of defensive back rooms across America. This this cornerback room is awesome, and Jabbar Muhammad is one of the reasons why. Like coming in from Oklahoma State, he is he he makes this team awesome. I don't know what to say. I think Washington's going to be great this year. They went eleven and two last year. I don't think it should be controversial to say Washington's going to be very good. <laughs> I've, I've said for most teams, it feels like at this point, I've called out when they're at Washington. Uh, who does Washington have to play 
their away games against. Uh, well, they're at USC, at Oregon State. They're at Michigan State in the non-conference slate. This, this is a tough conference to play in and some very big non-conference games as well. Uh, Boise State to start off the year is probably going to be a pretty good game. Like, I don't think they get an easy path here. Boise State, Tulsa, at Michigan State. We just talked about Tulsa on the live stream not that long ago. Uh, if you're on audio, our previous episode of the American, we think Tulsa is going to be pretty good. And we'll, we'll find out pretty early in week two. I think Washington should be in that conversation for the conference title. I don't think that's far-fetched for them. It's going to take some wins on the road that, man, that's so tough. At Oregon State, at USC, late in the year, too. Like, this is (laughs) – it's tough. (laughs) The Pac-12 is really good. Uh, Man, one more team to talk about. It is Washington State, Washington's big rival, Governor's Cup up there. Uh, this is yet another quarterback room that I love very much. Uh, Jake Dickert has come into a seemingly impossible situation just because of during the COVID years, their previous head coach didn't want to take the vaccine. And therefore, as a public university employee, he was not allowed to work uh, in the state anymore. And so Jake Dickert came in on an interim basis and held things together well enough. They ended up beating Washington that year. Like, okay, maybe Jake Dickert is a legitimate option. Last year, they go seven and six, including a win at Wisconsin that shocked me. I'll say that. Uh, I think that win was a big part of why Wisconsin's coaching staff looks a lot different heading into this year. And the quarterback room is awesome. Now we talked about Eric Morris in the previous episode or a little bit earlier, if you're live with us, uh, because he's now the head coach at North Texas. He brought Cam Ward with him to Washington state from UIW. And I have, a Cam Ward hat from when he was at UIW and he still wore number seven. Uh, (laughs) He now wears number one for Washington state and he plays like it. Uh, He is very exciting. The, the issue with Cam Ward is he does, he does like to sling the ball a bit. He likes to be a little bit of a gunslinger, likes to run around a little bit more dangerously than you would like. I don't think he's going to be, necessarily an NFL quarterback, the way he plays right now. With a new offensive coordinator, maybe some of those things can get cleaned up. Maybe maybe Eric Morris wasn't necessarily the best for his pro development. Maybe he was the best to draw the talent out of him that he has right now. I think that's very, very realistic. So I'm watching the, the end of this career arc for Cam Ward with great interest. He has another year after this too for Washington State. I think both these years could be awesome. Uh, I have a 
I have a lot of faith in Cam Ward. But the rest of this team doesn't have a whole lot of name recognition to it, but I do believe in Nakia Watson. I do believe in Ron Stone and Brandon Jackson, another really solid defensive line. Uh, Chow Smith-Wade is a great corner. Yet again, quarterbacks and defensive backs, you cannot find a better conference than the Pac-12 this year. They went 7-6 and six last season, including a loss to Fresno State in the bowl game. That was tough. I don't think they're going to be – I think I think they could be better than that. <clears throat> That's where I'm at with it. They were at Wisconsin last year, and now this year Wisconsin has to come to Pullman with a new coaching staff, an entirely new offense, a, a new scheme. Uh, their other non-conference games are Colorado State and Northern Colorado. Let's be honest. They have a real shot at starting 3-0. and Then they're home for Oregon State. Yeah, at Washington, at Oregon, at UCLA, at Arizona State is all very tough. Uh, but we've talked about it basically all episode at this point. The entire conference slate for everybody is tough this year. I don't, I don't see too many easy wins for anybody. Even Stanford, even Cal, even Colorado, those teams that people will talk about as not being at the same level as the, the other teams in the conference just – on a pure talent basis. Stanford's one of those scary teams you have to watch out for. They can creep up on you. And with the new head coach, what he did at Sacramento State, that's that should be scary. Uh, I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I'm almost doing like a wrap-up, but I'm still looking at Washington State here. I do want to say uh, I think the future is bright in Pullman. This year and next year, should be awesome for Washington State. Let's go ahead and talk about some non-conference games here. I've already have already mentioned several that I'm looking forward to, even not on this slide, but Wisconsin at Washington State does make the list here because last year's game was so exciting, and this year's game has another element to it. Now we have Luke Fickle in, in the head coach seat for Wisconsin. We have Three new quarterbacks transferred into Wisconsin. <laughs> we have a new offensive coordinator for Washington State, too, and it's at Pullman. I don't think when this game was scheduled that Wisconsin really thought Washington State would be too much of a threat. But what Jake Dickert has done here, what Cam Ward has brought in, what Eric Morris has started, and now he's at North Texas, but what he started there is scary. And I think this could be – a big-time statement win for Washington State to start off the year. Uh, but before we even get there, we have Florida returning the home-and-home home against Utah. If you'll remember that game last season, <laughs> that was that was a wild one last year. <coughs> In uh, At Florida last season. And now it'll be in Salt Lake City. So... At Florida last season, that was Billy Napier's, like, coming out party, <laughs> I guess. 
<laughs> that win should have been his coming out party, and then he ended up sucking in the SEC schedule. But when Florida won that game 29-26, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, Florida's back. Florida's really good. Or, wait, is Utah just not at the level that we thought they were going to be? Oh, wait, Utah won the Pac-12 and looked really dang good doing it towards the end of the year. Uh, this game against Florida – is probably going to be a big redemption arc for like Cam Rising, for instance. Really going to want to avenge that loss from last season. This is one of the the feathers in the cap that Utah is really going to be looking forward to, and it's right up there, very first weekend of the season. So, should be. This is the first game, I think, of week one. Like, obviously, we have week zero. This isn't a week zero game, but this is a Thursday night week one game. This might very well be the first week one game of the season. Uh, it should be awesome. Then the other game on the middle, in the middle of the screen here, Nebraska at Colorado. Old time, big 12 matchup here. But now it's Big Ten at Pac-12, at least for this season. Uh, I don't know what to expect from either squad. Both schools coming in with brand new head coach, uh, entirely new head co- uh, coaching staffs, not just the head coach, and really revitalized rosters, like a lot of changes to both of these schools. So for this to be an early season matchup, who knows how this is going to go, what this is going to mean for each side really legitimately could go any direction. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Nebraska with Matt Rule, Colorado with Deion Sanders. This is a completely different energy for both schools. Should be an awesome old-school rivalry matchup, and uh, definitely looking forward to it. But I do want to wrap things up by just saying that – The Pac-12 is awesome. I hope you guys get a chance to get a chance to take in some Pac-12 action this year because it may it may very well soon be coming to an end. (laughs) As sad as that is, I think it's the writing's on the wall for the Pac-12 in general. Um, Arizona might be next to jump to the Big 12 from the talk from the sound of things. Um, Oregon, Washington are potentially out the door too for somewhere. Might not even be the Big Ten. Big Ten might be looking eastward for expansion, actually. Um, if if Oregon ends up in the Big Twelve right now, there's there's not much coming back from that as far as the Pac-12 is concerned. What can they possibly do for a media deal, for anything to to really revitalize this conference? I have no idea. I have no idea. But in the meantime, we'll enjoy it while we have it. This this year of Pac-12 football should be incredible. Uh, Bug just hopped in the chat. He's unable to join us back on the live stream right now, but now he he does predict USC and Utah meet once again in the conference championship game. 
And he has USC winning this time. The Trojans taking the Pac-12 crown back for the first time in a very long time. When's the last time USC actually won the conference? <laughs> might be, might be when Pete Carroll was there. So <laughs> been a been a good minute. If Lincoln Riley can do it, this would be a a very solid team, a very solid chance to do so. Um, man, for me, I do think it'll be USC back in the conference championship game. I'm going to go somebody other than Utah because I said that I would. I do think Utah has a great shot of coming back to the title game. But, man, Washington's good. Man, Oregon's good. Oregon State's good, and the schedule looks like it like it lines up pretty well for Oregon State, actually. I don't think they'll really be like a – is that an 11-1 team, though, kind of a deal? Like, you need to, you need to be up there. In order to get in the conference title game, this is going to be some some knockdown, drag out challenges. Uh, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for USC Washington. I think I'll take USC in that, but I really wouldn't be surprised if Washington pulls it out and prevents the Pac-12 from making the playoff yet again. I think that's where I'm going to leave it. I think <laughs> that would be very poetic for the Pac-12 to get knocked out of the playoff once again. Uh, let's let's do it. It makes too much sense. USC, Washington, Washington wins, and uh, Washington does not get in the 14 playoff. <laughs> that's my prediction for the Pac-12. Uh, man, unfortunately, Bug had to dip uh, his son – is his birthday is this weekend and because of a couple of different family related reasons he had his birthday party tonight and uh he was able to talk about the american conference with us live on air had to go back be with his family for the rest of this pac 12 episode glad to have him on while we could but i certainly didn't mind talking pac 12 football all by myself hopefully you guys Enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> Man, I this conference is so good and so inept at the same time. It is brutal. It kills me. But, yeah, I think there are like nine teams, ten teams here that could be awesome. And very well could happen that none of them are in the Pac-12 in a couple of years. <laughs> so enjoy it while you can folks this is the pac 12 and this does it for our conference preview of the pac 12 thank you so much for tuning in if you have done so live on twitch we are big dudes in the trenches all one word on twitch you can also listen to these episodes everywhere you find podcasts and on youtube we are bdt football uh on on youtube we're Big dudes in the trenches as well. Same as the Twitch. You can ask questions. You can talk to us in the chat. Thank you to Ben for chiming in at the end here in chat when he could. Uh, Torx in chat. Thank you so much for chiming in. I tried to integrate your questions in with what I was talking about. 
Um, if you have some very specific questions in the chat, though, I'll certainly make sure to shout them out while we're still live and rolling and get you an answer. Uh, if you don't want to or can't join us live, you can certainly email us any questions you have, mailbox at bdtfootball.com. You can also follow us on Twitter is the best place to do so, at bdtfootball. And honestly, we have some other links down there. I know Bug likes to shout them out every time, and we make Tug shout them out whenever he's on the show. But let's be real, Twitter and email are the best way to reach us. So if you want to find us anywhere else, uh, you can find those links in the description. Also, join the Discord. I'm very active on the Discord. I post stuff in the Discord all the dang time. I'll be at work and I'm scrolling Twitter to find news and stuff to talk about on the Discord. It's a problem. So <laughs> thank you so much for checking us out. Uh, we have four more conferences in the FBS to get to. And we have, I think, what is it, 13 conferences in the FCS that we'll be getting to over the rest of this summer ahead of week zero in our conference preview series. Hopefully it'll be more than just me <laughs> talking about the rest of these conferences. But even if it is just me, uh, hopefully you guys can learn something and get something good out of this and appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, folks. Thank you very much for watching.